than you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's why I always said when God ever called us to places, I let her sing first. That way you've already made your mind up, and I'm good to go. Well, this morning we will be taking a break from the book of James, and we'll actually be taking a break next Sunday as well as we continue to kind of look at some Christmas themes that God has laid before us. And uh, those of you, I want to go ahead and say those of you that were gracious enough to respond to my Facebook post this week about Christmas music, that's next Sunday. Okay, so, so don't be like, well, he had us do all this, and now we're not even, even going to get to hear it. Next week, we'll talk, uh, next Sunday morning, you'll get to hear the list of the 10 worst Christmas songs compiled by your suggestions and some that I'd never heard before that I went back to listen to. And I want to go ahead and get this joke out of the way, okay? So next week, I don't get accused of using a really bad dad joke. So let's just get it out of the way now. I do find it interesting that most of the women who wrote Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer were grandmas. Dad joke out of the way. There we go. You know, in this week's passage in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, when the angels came and spoke to, to Mary and Joseph and actually gives them the name that, they're to, that, that their son will be called. Now, of course, we know that He's called Jesus, but also the idea, Emmanuel, God with us, right? It's the angel says, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. You know, picking a kid's name is always a challenge. In our family, I mean, you notice our first child is named after a mid-sized Toyota sedan, Camry. Not a common name, right? Well, then you look at Georgia, and Georgia's original name was supposed to be Carolina, and the re- one of the reasons she's not named Carolina is because we couldn't agree how to spell it. I figured our founding fathers who spelled Carolina the way they did, did it right, and the wife was, didn't agree. History's on my side, but it's okay. And then Caleb. Caleb was even named Eli. Not Eli, Levi. Now I'm doing it. He was named Levi for 24 hours. But Rachel couldn't remember that and kept calling him Eli, like I just did. Then he became Caleb because she convinced the girls that's what he should be named. So I come home, and he's being called Caleb. So all of a sudden, he's got to be Caleb. See, it would be so much easier if every single one of us, when every single family got ready to have children, if an angel just showed up and said, call your baby this. Wouldn't it be easier? It save all the family drama of, well, you didn't name the child after me, or you didn't follow the family name. It would just save a lot of issues. In the process of thinking about that, I, I had another list. Now, you may be catching on that I like lists. A couple weeks ago, we had list of reason churches split. Then I, next week, we're going to have a list of songs that are terrible Christmas songs. This week, I got lists of the ten worst names. Okay? If your name shows up on this list, which I'm fairly sure have knowing the church well enough, none of your names are going to show up on this list. Maybe you feel like your name should be on the list. That's up to you. But I want to give you the list of the worst ten names, and these are names that are actually legally given to people, okay? Number ten, Disney. You may love Disney. You may think it's the greatest thing that has ever happened, but five children this last year were given the first name Disney. There's a lot of pressure that comes under that name. Number nine, this is probably the most pressure. Heavenly Princess. Can't you just imagine holding your daughter and you Heavenly Princess? By the way, they didn't spell it right. It's H-E-A-V-Y, which is the word heavy, N-L-I, Dash P R Y N C E S. Just one S at the end. So heavy only princess. Xerox. A family named their child Xerox after finding out that they could win a scholarship for him. This one is tasty, but probably not a great name. Nutella. 
Number six is my personal favorite. If, we, if God ever gives us a miracle child, this is what we should name her. Fifi Trixie Bell. Fifi Trixie Bell. What's going to be even greater than that, Scott, is that she has a sibling who's further down the list. Um, number five, great place to eat. Don't recommend naming your child. Olive Garden. And that was not promotional. They just named their child Olive Garden. Number four, Mercury Constellation Star Cruiser. I'll say it one more time slower because I know I speak fast. Mercury Constellation Star Cruiser. This person was in the Army, by the way. <laughs> Number three, this is to set your child up for a life of crime. Felony. P-H-E-L-O-N-Y. Now, I mentioned Fifi Trixiebel earlier, and Scott, you were interested about that one. So can I get, I'm going to give you her sister's name. You ready? Heavenly Harani Tiger Lily. I don't know which one was the favorite kid. But number one on my list who grew up in the state of Wisconsin. Are you ready for this? I need a head nod because this one's coming. Are you ready for this? All right. Marijuana Pepsi. Okay, I had to give you the story behind this one, okay? So just hold on, hold on. Those of you at home and you're going, uh, did he say that? I did. Marijuana Pepsi. Many years ago, a mother in the Midwest decided that she would name her baby girl after the two things she loved the most. Marijuana and Pepsi. Marijuana Pepsi Jackson, who is no longer named Jackson. She is now married and has a doctorate. But Marijuana Pepsi... Jackson was born and raised in Beloit, Wisconsin. And she's had to overcome this terrible name her whole life. But it's often raised eyebrows by the way she's a teacher. Marijuana, Pepsi. Mar uh, the Mar Milwaukee Journal Sentinel columnist Jim Stingle wrote this about her. He said, this tall, striking, self-assured, motorcycle-riding woman is a schoolteacher with a doctorate from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in school administration. All of her achievements came despite that smoky carbonated name. That's good writing, okay? And partly because of it. No one who's named Pepsi Marijuana gets lost in a crowd. She was asked, and this is what she said, everybody I meet says, you're nothing like I thought you would be. Impressively enough, marijuana Pepsi has found success in her life and has never smoked and prefers orange Fago to Pepsi. Look, uh, some of you uh, will plan to have children. Some of you have already had children. Some of you will have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Please do me the favor. Do not let your child or do not name your child marijuana Pepsi. Walton children, if you bring me home a grandchild named Marijuana Pepsi. Nope. <clears throat> That's no better. <laughs> I will love you, but you will sleep outside. <laughs> In all of this, looking at all these silly names, these names affected these people. But here's the great thing for you and me, is that the name Emmanuel not only affected Jesus, but you know who it affects the most? You and me. Emmanuel, God with us, is a phrase that literally shakes the heavens. God with us. I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 1. And while Rachel did not have you stand... I would like to ask you to stand for the reading of the word. I've missed saying that for the last six weeks. <clears throat> Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 reads this way. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Father, today... As we read this passage, God, as we understand this concept, God, may we be reminded of that great phrase, God with us. God, that you are currently here. Father, that you sent your son to rescue. And that he is here right now. His presence is in this room. Father, would we be overwhelmed and overcome today with the understanding that all of creation was changed that moment. God with us. And so, Father, as we study this word today, as we learn truth from it, would you just be with us? Because in your presence, we're forever changed. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I can tell you, I have for the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years, when I've read scripture to preach, I've had people stand and so can I just tell you, it's been really strange not doing that for the last several weeks. And it's good this morning that we could give God's word the honor and glory it deserves. It's kind of making me emotional, so you may have to give me a second. As we look at this concept today of what's happening, is it that Joseph and Mary, and really in the, in the ancient world, when you were engaged to somebody, you were already married without the physical benefits of marriage. You shared uh, possessions, you shared time, you shared all these things together without the physical expectations that happen within a marriage. And so we have this moment where, where Joseph is, is hearing that, that Mary is going to bring a child into this world. And of course, his response is, well, this is not my child, so something has to change. And God shows up. Didn't God do that when things are crazy? And things are tough. And you think things will never be the same. God shows up. And he sends an angel and the angel comes and, he, and, and the angel tells Joseph, listen, this is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit has come upon her. This is the Son of the living God and you shall name him Jesus. That you shall give him the name Jesus. And it says that this name, this name will be a name that we will call him, but he will be Emmanuel, God with us. That comes from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, where he says, that, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign, and behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. See, this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, should do more than we understand in any other religion. Any other world religion has this God that's far off, that has this God that, that stays distant from His people. And what we get to see in our own lives is that God is not far off, but God is with us. Can, does that rock you to your core? That God would choose to, to rescue people like us. See, what we see in this idea of God with us, the first thing we're going to see is a creator came to creation. 
Creator came to creation. See, there's a, there's a group of uh, religious philosophies called deists. And they believe that there's a God and they believe that He exists, but they believe that He doesn't interact with His people. That He's just far off. He sets the world in motion and says, we'll see you later. You look at the, at the other world religions and you look at things like Islam. Muhammad, doesn't, uh, Muhammad and Allah don't get involved in your life. They, they give you the rules, they give you the regulations, and they step away. What we see is that the one who formed the mountains and made the oceans and, and causes the sun to rise and the moon to, to orbit the, the earth, he said, I've got to go to them. See, Colossians 1, 15 and 17 says this, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Everything you see, Jesus created. When I was a child, I liked to build with Legos. <clears throat> I was the kid that would build Lego houses. And then I would build like a Lego car garage. And then I would build like a Lego second floor to your house. And then I would park Hot Wheels in my Lego garage. I was that kid. That's what I did. I loved building things. I loved putting things together. But, and, and I know this is going to kind of show... Uh, a little bit of my nerdy side, but I always thought it'd be so cool to be shrunk down and live in a Lego house just while I built it. I know, it's nerdy, it's okay. You can poke fun at me and laugh about it. Most make comments on Facebook, it's fine. But see, what we don't understand is that I wanted to do that just because I thought it'd be fun. God created the heavens and the earth, and Jesus had to come to rescue his own creation. He had to rescue his own creation. He didn't come because it was fun. Can I just say that? <laughs> yeah, Jesus wasn't in heaven going, I wonder what, I wonder what it would be like to, to stub my toe. I wonder what it would be like to get made fun of. Or I wonder what it would be like to, to taste steak. Come on, you know it's going to be at the Lamb Supper, right? Jesus wasn't going, I just wonder what it's like. Jesus says, I don't just need to know what it's like. I want to experience life because I need to save my people. Well, I want you to understand that a creator came to creation. There's three things that happen when the creator comes to creation. The first one is this, is heaven was wrapped in flesh. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh. The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Can I tell you, that's one of the things that makes Jesus so spectacular. Can we, can we just rest in that fact for a moment, that some people are full of grace, some people are full of truth, some people are just full of it, and Jesus is full of both grace and truth. The magnitude of all the glory of God wrapped in the most inglorious, most fragile thing ever. There's a song by, by the artist Chris Rice, and, and he says, Fragile finger sent to heal us. Wrapped in flesh. You understand this idea that all of the Godhood came into something about this big. See, Jesus was perfect. And He took on imperfection. He was forced to put on the corrupt and the broken. The glory of God wrapped in fragile human flesh, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. See, Colossians 2.9 says this, because I've heard people say, oh, well, well, see, Jesus was just man, and, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, and, and he, he was just a guy. Well, see, Colossians 2.9 says that the fullness of deity dwelled in Jesus. That 
God became a baby. Think for a moment about all the things that ail you. We had this conversation in the back earlier in the coffee uh, cafe area that we were talking about our ailments. I heard shoulder pains, and I've been confessing I've been having hip and knee pains. It all started after I turned 40. I've been getting heartburn. Something's wrong with me. But you see that God put on that for you and me. He, he, He took all of the humanity and he subjected himself to that he subjected himself to to things like that and i've heard people say before well you see but when jesus was a was a person although he was a person he was perfect you think that jesus didn't get a cold i bet he did he was human getting a cold doesn't make you a sinner you ever think about the fact that Jesus, now this is going to be, when I was a youth pastor, I shared this all the time. I bet Jesus got a pimple. Teenagers, don't worry. Jesus had pimples too. I bet, he, I bet his hair didn't always look perfect. See, he went from where he was on the throne. On the throne of heaven. being wrapped in our flesh that tells you how much the father loved us that he was willing to do that but see we not only get that he was wrapped in flesh we get this that a king went into a peasant's cradle the king of eternity just grasp that for a moment you've ever seen undercover boss anybody ever seen that show undercover boss or the guy who's the CEO of the company or the lady who's the CEO of the company go down and they become janitors. That's what happened. <laughs> Jesus went from being the CEO to coming down and cleaning up our mess. For a moment, wrap your minds around that process. Is that He goes from a place where His throne is surrounded by rainbows. And He came down to the lowliest of places. Not even to the crib of a middle class family, but to a borrow food trough. Not even in a barn. You think about this for a second. Maybe, we, maybe we've missed the idea of a manger for too long. But a manger was not just sitting in a big red barn on a farm. The way that the, the historians tell us is that this place where Jesus was born was much more like a cave in the side of a hill where other animals were and he was placed in a trough not this pretty little wooden manger that we have out for our manger scenes but probably a stone trough with the smell of all the animal glories that's where your savior was born See, he he made himself nothing. But see, why did he do that? Why did he go from, from the place where he was king to the place where he was in a cradle? Because, you know, you and I probably wouldn't relate very well to a king who just came down. We wouldn't relate to, to someone who was wrapped in the finest linens and, and placed in a palace. But yet he has gone through everything you and I have gone through. He's gone from being a baby to being a a full-grown man. Listen to this. God's own son made his appearance on earth in the lowliest of places so he could save the lowliest of people. Can we just for a moment recognize? I want to say it in case you don't know. I'm the lowliest of the people. I come from a lower middle class family. Single parent family. Crazy family. Everybody's like, my family is crazier than yours is. Trust me. See, I think the reason that Jesus came into the lowly state is because the lowly ones were the ones that needed to be rescued. 
See, we don't only just see heavens wrapped in flesh and the king in a peasant's cradle, but this one. Power became powerless. Power became powerless. Can you imagine the miracle that it took to take all power and make it powerless? What, what, is, uh, what can a baby do for itself? This is the question and answer of our test today. What can a baby do? Nothing. Cry. <laughs> for our bilingual people, nada. For our nine, nothing. A baby is helpless. You're trying to put together an entertainment center, you don't say, hey, bring the baby over. You probably end up with more screws left over than I do. The reality is this, is, is that Jesus became not just a human being, not just a, not just a man, but a baby. Philippians 2.7, He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he has experienced the ultimate weakness. He's one who's been in every way tempted, just as we have. See, I, I look at Jesus as a baby, having to be fed and cleaned and changed and bathed, and then I imagine Jesus becoming a toddler. I've got one of those in my home. Luckily, Jesus' parents probably didn't have to hear him say no. But can you, I believe that Jesus was a toddler, a rambunctious toddler at that, probably. He probably liked to run and grab the sheep by their ears and hammer things in and learn his colors. And then he became a teenage boy. I am not looking forward to that in my home. But Jesus became a teenage boy. And then he became an apprentice. A college-age guy. <laughs> the reality is this, is that he put off his power. He put off all of his unlimited power so he could walk through the same life that you and I do. See, he took off the power to rescue the powerless. See, we don't just get this beautiful idea that creator came to creation. But we get this phrase that I absolutely adore. He is with us. He is with us. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, on his deathbed, said this as his final phrase. The best of all things is God with us. See, here he was, God in the flesh, where no other religion is like it. No other world religion says that their God came to visit their people. And this one concept turns all of history on its nose. That God would choose to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He is with us and He is near to us. He is near to us. The idea here is this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, here's the problem with Christianity, and I just want to say this so we can understand it the right way, is that God is here and we are here. And because of who we are, we can never bridge that gap on our own. Because of who we are, we can never make it right enough. No matter how good we try, no matter how much we give, no matter how often we teach or we lead, we can never do good enough. See, we are incapable of reaching heaven 
but heaven reached us. Psalm 18.16 says, He reached down from on high and took a hold of me. He pulled me from the deep waters. I want you to get this visually. Heaven reached down to you. You could not reach heaven. See, here's, here's what we think, that if I swim hard enough, if I try hard enough, that I can get to God. Can I tell you that without Jesus reaching down from heaven to rescue, you can't swim hard enough. I don't care how many times Dory says, just keep swimming. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it without Him coming to you. See, we've got it mixed up. I've heard people say all my life, I found Jesus. You didn't find Him. He found you. Right? Because that's how the, the parable goes, right? That, that there was one lost sheep, and that one lost sheep came looking for the shepherd. Is that not how it goes? Uh because the way it goes is the shepherd comes and finds the sheep because the sheep, can I just remind you, I've told you before, sheep are not bald, but dumb. There may be some bald sheep, but there's probably diseases for that. Sheep are dumb. The reality is, is we were drowning in sin and God sent His Son and He said, rescue them. Collect them, take them, pull them out. He did for us what we could not do. For all are sinners and all have fallen short. See, it's not just that He's near us. Can I tell you, it is still a beautiful thing to understand that God is near us, that He desires that we should draw near to God. If you've been following in James, draw near to God. He wants that, but here's the reality, is that we, He's near to us, he goes with us too. He goes with us. I know I mentioned uh, Wesley earlier, John Wesley. I want to tell you what Charles Spurgeon says. He says when he looks at what that God is with us, is that God chose not only to come near to us, but that He chooses to go with us. I was joking around earlier with Miss Mary as she was playing today, and we. We did the, I'm not sure how, oft, how much y'all are used to this, the Baptist way of singing hymns. It's first, second, and last. Y'all ever noticed that before? It's first, second, and last. And I asked a guy once why we skipped the third verse. It was a music leader in the church I grew up in. He said, we skipped the third verse because that one's usually about the Holy Spirit. Now, somebody on the inside's laughing, and I hope you laugh about it later. But usually the Baptist church says, ah, oh, Holy Spirit, we just kind of ignore that. Can I tell you, if you want to make it through this world, you don't only need God near you, but you need God in you. And the reality is this, as he, Spurgeon said, that God goes with us, that, and he sends the Holy Spirit to go with us. We, the followers of Christ, are never without Jesus. You're never without the Holy Spirit. Look, you can, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you flop, no matter how many times you deliberately do something you know you should not do, the Spirit is with you. That should do two things, comfort you and scare you. Amen? It should comfort you to know that you, as, as you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil because He's with you. It also should scare you because you're constantly making mistakes. I'm not picking on you. I preach the sermon to myself first. The reality is this, is God is with us. There's never a moment we walk alone. I don't do this often or all the time, but I want you to flip with me real quickly if you have your Bibles to, to Isaiah 43. If you've got your phone, you'll get there quicker than everybody else, but Isaiah 43. I'm even going to flip instead of reading it out of my notes.
Verse 2. You need me to give you more time? Tell me to hold up. Okay, it means everybody's there already. So uh, Isaiah 43, 2. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Keep going with me here in verse 3. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love this statement. And I love you. <laughs> Can you just grasp for a moment that the God of all creation says that word, says that phrase to you? I love you look 2020 has been rough amen but the phrase hearing God who created me who loves me who saves me say those just that just those three words I love you that'll get me through that'll get me through 2021 (laughs) if we don't know what it holds but he does. He says, I love you. Mm. See, God is near, but God's with as well. Not only do we see these two things that God has sent creator to creation and not only do we see that he's drawn near to us but I want us to see this last thing and this one here I hope will give you strength he is for us he is for us see Romans 8.31 says that if he's for us who can be against us See, he came not to defeat us, but to be our defender. I see people all the time that are afraid to come to, to, to Christ because they're, they're like, well, well, I don't want to submit myself. I don't want to make myself do this. Jesus came, did not come to defeat you. He came to defend you. From who? <laughs> well, the devil. But can I tell you who he also came to defend you from? yourself some of the most destructive people in the in the world are ourselves we tell ourselves we're not good enough or i can't do this or i'm going to fall short or i'm going to fail but jesus came to defend his people but what i got three little things i want you to see the how he's for us and the one thing is this is he came to give us victory over our defeat have you ever heard the phrase that they snatched victory or snatched defeat from the hands of victory you ever heard that i I watch a lot of mississippi state football sadly enough i also watch a lot of dallas cowboy football and can tell you i've seen my teams quite often Snatch defeat when victory was right there. Last night, I will praise the Lord that my, my, my Bulldogs won. Beat the University of Missouri. I see that Kent is not here today for me to brag about. <clears throat> okay, I'll catch him later. But see, here's the thing. Our sin has defeated us. Can I, just, can, I, can I just confess that, that our sin has defeated us. We lost. We're crushed beneath the weight of our own sin. But, oh, I love when that word pops up in Scripture. But, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks 
be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then my favorite verse in all the Bible, Exodus 14, 14. It says, you just have to stand still. The Lord will fight for you. Can I tell you, the Lord's undefeated. He hadn't lost yet. And I got a feeling that the 72 Dolphins might as well go hang it up. They ain't going to lose. The Lord ain't going to lose. Ever. It's over. In fact, I've read the end of the book. I know how it ends. There's no sudden death overtime. Jesus wins. And can I tell you that too often Christians live in defeat. Too often as believers we live in this, oh poor pitiful me. Maybe, maybe you live it a different way. Maybe you live it in a passive aggressive way. Or a sarcastic way. Or maybe you just live it by being quiet and not saying anything else. But on the inside you're dying. Can I tell you Jesus came to win your soul. He came to seek and to save the lost and that was me. And that's you. You see, not only did he claim victory over our defeat, but he also brings hope for the hopeless. If you haven't caught on yet in the three or four or five, how long have I been here? Four months? Sorry, the whole gap of COVID has really messed me up. Four months? You're going to hear this phrase a lot. Hope for the hopeless. See, we have no hope apart from Christ Jesus. If God would have said, you know what? I just don't want to send Jesus. Let them figure it out themselves. We'd be in a hole. You think the world's in a mess now? <laughs> you ain't got a clue. We would be so jacked up. We'd be so crisscrossed backwards, we wouldn't know what to do. But he sends hope for the hopeless. Oh, life, life is tough. Life is hard. Jesus is still there. See, we're dead in our trespasses. And if you think for one minute you're capable of getting yourself back up, I hate that old phrase, and I know that somebody's going to say, well, it means this, and it's kept me going this way. I hate the phrase that I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I know it's a popular phrase. My granddaddy said it all the time. But guess what? I can't pull myself up. And it's not just because I'm chubby. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I need Jesus to pull me up. Just, just take a moment and think about the last few days. Just, just take a moment. Just think about all the things that have gone through your life the last few days. Just think about all the good stuff, all the bad stuff. Think about all the, maybe the sins you've committed. With that record of your good deeds to your bad deeds, are you getting into heaven? Now, most of you are sitting, at, sitting there just going, I'm not going to shake my head because I don't want the preacher to know I've failed. But think about it for a moment. I can tell you I wouldn't make it. I can guarantee you I don't make it. But, thankful for Scripture that reminds me of this. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living, now listen, hope. Living hope hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ see I, I, when I stack up my wins versus my losses I'm in trouble but he gives me hope I got one more I want to share with you he not only gives us victory over our defeat he not only brings hope to the hopeless, but this, he redeems the wretched. He redeems the wretched. Isaiah 48, 16 through 17 says this, Draw near to me. Hear this from the beginning. I have not spoken this in secret. 
From the time it came to be, I have been there, and now the Lord God has sent me in His Spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the hope of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way you should go. Luke 1, 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed His people. The idea of redeemed is to be purchased back, to be bought back. And can I tell you, we don't have to just be bought back. The reality is, is that Satan didn't purchase us. We gave ourselves to him. We gave ourselves to the enemy. We gave ourselves to sin. We gave ourselves to shortcoming and to, to missing the mark. And the Father says, even though you willingly gave yourself away, I will take you back. I will purchase you back. In fact, the great idea is that he paid the price. Not because it was something that he just had to do, but it was something he wanted to do. Can I remind you that Jesus says no one took his life from him, that he laid it down. The Redeemer for you and me. Years and years and years ago, well, I guess it wasn't that many years ago, maybe two, that little girl right there with the black bow in her hair that doesn't even know I'm talking about her. <clears throat> we had her, and she was... Uh, having some issues with uh, her bowels and destroyed, absolutely destroyed a diaper. And I'm not going to get too colorful with it because we've got to go eat lunch after all this. But absolutely destroyed a diaper to the point where it was all over the car seat, all over her hands, feet, and face. And I remember taking her out of the car seat very tenderly, taking her to the back of the car, raised the back of the car so I could lay her on something flat because there was no way I was going to take her into some gas station, and starting to clean her off. Just, you know. And she was just cackling. It was the greatest thing in the world to her. Here she is, covered in head to toe, and you know what, and in her hair, like I said, on her face, some of it I'm fairly sure in her mouth. Just laughing. It was the greatest thing in the world. And I just remember sitting there thinking about her in that moment and recognizing that what I was seeing at that moment was not a little girl that was my daughter at the moment. But what I was seeing was me. In my sin, in my filth, just laughing it up, having a good time, covered in shame. And there was my heavenly father standing over me, wiping me clean. Making me right. I had to throw away one of my favorite t-shirts that day. And while I threw away a t-shirt, something that I really did like that shirt, to clean up a baby that I loved, Yes. While I did that for a kid I loved, my father sent his son to clean me up. Something wretched, nasty, and filthy that I was. The father sent his son to make me whole again, to clean me, 
to make me start over. Afresh and new. Can I tell you today that that's really what Emmanuel, God with us, is about. I love Christmas music, which I've already shared. I love Christmas movies, minus the Hallmark ones. They're the same movie. What I love most about Christmas is the idea that God saw me broken, bruised, battered, in need of a Savior. And he sent his son to save a wretch like me. Can I tell you today, whether you're sitting in this room, whether you're sitting at home, he did the same for you. He came to give you new life. And it can start today. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we praise your name. A name that is above every name. Got a name that makes all of hell shake. And heaven rejoice. God, a name that causes every knee to bow and to confess that you are Lord. Father, I, I thank you that you sent not only your Son to be with us, but for your Spirit to live in us. Thank you, Father, that you rescued a poor sinner like me. God, today, as we think about the baby Jesus, will we not just focus on Christmas, but we focus on your kingdom. God with us. What a beautiful thought. What a great reality. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your son. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're going to sing one more song, uh, probably my favorite Christmas song. Didn't tell her that before she picked it, but probably my favorite Christmas song. I want to invite you, maybe you just need to sing along, maybe you need to pray here at the altar, maybe you need to, maybe Christmas season just hasn't felt right yet because of all the things that have happened this year. Maybe you just need to focus your heart on Christ. I encourage you today to do that. Maybe you need to make Jesus your Savior. I encourage you today to choose to follow the Lord.